Good morning. Great to see you all. It's a nice view from up here. You should try it sometime. Yeah, um, most Sundays, as Bonnie said, I'm at Christie Gardens, the place where I work, where I'm a chaplain. And uh, we have three services on a Sunday morning. And uh, so that's what I do. Uh, this morning, actually, because I'm not there, I have the occasional Sunday off. Uh, Brian Rowe is leading the services, and some of you know that name because he has spoken here on Sundays as well, Brian Rowe. And um, uh, Pastor Allen uh, has spoken at Christie Gardens. We have worship services on Wednesdays as well that are led by guest speakers, and uh, Allen has done that already for us. Bonnie's going to be doing that as well, so we're pretty grateful for that as well, for our connection with this church. On Thursday, I was chatting with my neighbor. He has a beautiful flower garden, and uh, he commented that our recent weather with its sun and rain has been very good for growing things. I agreed, and I could have added that it's been a great summer, too, for growing weeds. I don't know how many hours I have spent pulling weeds this summer. There's always the temptation to pull out just the biggest ones, but I know if I do that, it'll be three times as many next time. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus told parables about summer's growing things, and he also talked about weeds, which is what we'll talk about in a moment. Let's pray. Dear God, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Perhaps you've heard these opening lines from Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. With that description, Charles Dickens opened his story cast in the 18th century, the era of the French Revolution. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Has it ever been otherwise, we ask? Wouldn't Charles Dickens' lines also describe our world today? Aren't these the best of times in so many ways? We think of the advances of modern technology, air travel that flies us to exotic places for vacation, but the same technology, flying bombers equipped to engulf our world in nuclear holocaust. Dickens wrote about the age of wisdom, and we think about today's educational media, enabling those without books to access the libraries of the world. But at the same time, there's great foolishness. Those same media spreading propaganda and pornography and falsehoods like never before. The season of light coupled to the season of darkness. Why? Why does it always seem to be the spring of hope and the winter of despair both good and evil, both strong and advancing. 
It's a question the disciples must have wondered about as they listened to Jesus. Jesus came proclaiming, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. A new age is upon us, Jesus was declaring. The new age of God's gracious rule. Matthew's gospel refers to this new age as the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing as the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are the same thing. And Jesus said it had arrived with his arrival. Jesus also said that he was the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God and the Son of Man. In fact, the title Son of Man was the one he used most often for himself. So, if you were living in the first century, what would you make of all of that? If you were a first century Jew, our ears, your ears, would have perked up when you heard Jesus use phrases like kingdom of God and son of man. A bell would have rung in your mind, reminding you of what you had heard at synagogue. It was from the book of Daniel, a strange and wonderful prophecy. In Daniel chapter 7, the prophet wrote about a vision that came to him, and this is what Daniel said. This is what he saw. In my vision, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and to him was given glory and sovereign power that all nations and languages should worship and serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. How interesting and strange. Someone like a son of man, a human being, arriving from heaven, someone who is given sovereign power and to whom all, before whom all peoples will worship. What could that prophecy mean? If you'd been a first century Jew hearing Jesus, you might also have recalled this from synagogue services. Daniel chapter 2. The God of heaven will, send up a king, will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. Again, for a first century Jew, an intriguing and mysterious 400-year-old prophecy of something to come, a kingdom that God would one day set up on earth. And now, here comes Jesus announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God, with himself, the predicted Son of Man, come to establish God's kingdom on earth. When Jesus proclaimed, that he was the Son of Man, come to announce the kingdom of God, people's eyes opened wide. Excitement rose further as Jesus not only preached the good news of the kingdom of God, but illustrated it as well. In God's kingdom, no longer would death have the last word. And Jesus demonstrated that by raising the dead. In God's kingdom, no one would go hungry and Jesus demonstrated his kingly power by miraculously feeding multitudes. 
In God's kingdom, sickness and brokenness and tears would be wiped away. And Jesus healed the sick and brought comfort to the grieving. The kingdom of God is upon you, announced Jesus. God's gracious rule was breaking into human history like never before. So, with great anticipation, Jesus' followers watched and waited, expecting even greater things ahead. The actual defeat of evil as God's kingdom crushed all opposition as the prophet Daniel said it would. But it didn't happen. Oh yes, the signs of the kingdom's arrival were obvious. No one had ever performed miracles or spoken like Jesus. At the same time, though, opposition to Jesus and his kingdom message was growing. So, was Jesus planning to crush the powerful in Jerusalem who opposed his kingship and wanted him dead? It seemed he wasn't approaching them. Instead, he was advancing. He, instead of advancing against them, he drew back from them into Galilee. The disciples were puzzled. Yes, the gospel of the kingdom was certainly being spread, like seed spread widely over a field, touching thousands, but the spread of evil hadn't declined. Where was all this headed, Jesus' disciples wondered. If God's kingdom was to continue to advance, evil needed to be pushed back, brought to its knees, eliminated. But that didn't seem to be happening. If Jesus was the powerful Son of Man, sent from God to the world, what was his strategy? What was his next move against God's opposition? Jesus understood his followers' questions and confusion, and so he told them a parable, a story about weeds. And Alan Ruffin will read it to us, please. The words, I think, will be up on the wall as well. Good morning. Our scripture for this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 to 30 and 36 to 43. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like this. A man sowed good seeds in his field. One night, when everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds showed up. The man's servants came to him and said, Sir, it was good seed you sowed into your field. Where did, where did the weeds come from? It was some enemy who did this, he answered. Do you want us to go up and pull the weeds? They asked him. No, he answered, because as you gather the weeds, you might pull up some of the wheat along with them. Let the wheat and the weeds both grow together until harvest. Then I will tell the harvest workers to first pull up the weeds, tie them in bundles and burn them, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Later, his disciples came to him and said, tell us what the parable about the weeds and the field means. Jesus answered, the man who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the people who belong to the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. And the enemy who sowed the weeds 
is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvest workers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered up and burned in the fire, so the same thing will happen at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels to gather up out of his kingdom all those who cause people to sin and all others who do evil things. And they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be crying and gnashing of teeth. Then God's people will shine like the sun and their Father's kingdom. Listen then, if you have ears, this is the word of the Lord. This is. Thanks, Alan. Some people think that Jesus' parables were folksy, down-to-earth stories that illustrated ageless wisdom. Jesus had a knack for engaging crowds with intriguing parables about sheep and farming and lost coins, stuff like that. That's certainly not this story. In this parable, Jesus talks about momentous matters for all humanity. The end of the world, evil, judgment, and people destined for either the kingdom of heaven or a fiery furnace. Did Jesus mean a literal furnace? Maybe not, but whatever the furnace represents with weeping and gnashing of teeth sounds like a place to avoid at all cost. Listen if you have ears, Jesus said. In other words, I've given you fair warning. Some people, of course, think, I don't believe any of that. I don't believe in hell or heaven. I don't believe in angels or the devil. They go on, there's probably nothing after death, but some people think some sort of peace awaits us there. As they say, rest in peace. I suppose that would be okay. That way of thinking is really not helpful. What you and I think about what will happen to us after death has no bearing at all on what will in fact happen. You may think that we will all turn into sunbeams but that won't make it happen. What we need to know is what God says will happen in the future. So, let's see what Jesus taught about these huge questions, questions about evil in the present and the elimination of evil in the future. Looking at the parable just read to us, we notice first that Jesus was clear about evil being real and that some people are actually allies of the devil. Literally what he said was, just as some people are children of God's kingdom, others are children of the devil. That's not a very comforting thought. I think most of us would rather not make such either-or distinctions. We'd rather say that most people are, at heart, pretty decent wanting the best, but that unfortunately sometimes they hold mistaken ideas and make poor judgments. And sometimes they're victims of circumstances that leave them with no good options. Jesus might have seen some truth in that. He once described crowds as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, pressured by forces beyond their control and ignorance of the way forward. And that may all be true, 
but it's not the whole truth. In this parable, Jesus said that people either have an orientation toward God and God's will, or an orientation that lines up with the devil's purposes. Those who receive Jesus' message become adopted children of God. Those who, remain, who want to remain independent of God are in fact children of the devil. Are we looking toward God, who is the source of all good, or are we facing a different direction? That's the question. Our problem is more than ignorance and unfortunate mistakes. Evil is real, and it's easy to be caught in its web. St. Peter wrote, be on your watch. Your enemy, the devil, roars, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And many people today are devoured by evil, by resentment, lies, greed, their own self-centeredness. That's the first thing we learn about this parable, from this parable, that real evil is active amongst our humanity. The second thing we learn is that it's often difficult to pinpoint those who are allied with evil to distinguish them from those who are allied with God. I recall a newspaper cartoon called Our Ancestors. Here's how it went. A man is talking to the proprietor of an old-fashioned general store. The proprietor tells this enthralled customer, it's the newest thing, grass seed that will grow anywhere. They call it crabgrass. Yeah, a few summers ago, I planted gra grass seed at the side of our house, and after several days, tiny green shoots emerged, and I was delighted, but not for long. It was crabgrass. The weeds that grew up amidst the wheat in Jesus' parable may have been a plant called darnel, which in its early stages looks a lot like wheat. It's actually a poisonous weed. Should we pull out those weeds, the workers in Jesus' story asked the farmer. No, he answered, because as you gather the weeds, you might pull up some of the wheat along with them. Is it wheat or is it a poisonous weed? Sometimes it's hard to tell. This is the question of trying to discern who's really following God and who's not. We can be mistaken. Our perceptions are sometimes flawed. We're reminded of Jesus' words in Luke 6. Do not judge others. Do not condemn others. That's not our job. As Jesus said in this parable, at the end of the age, the Son of Man will send his angels to gather up out of his kingdom all those who cause people to sin and all others who do evil deeds. So, we might ask, when we see evil, are we not to oppose it, not to judge it? Irish philosopher Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Jesus never told his followers to walk away from evil, to ignore it. He, after all, kicked the money changers out of the temple. 
So Christians do work against slavery, corruption, persecution, and war. But we need to be careful about condemning others. Jesus is the one who sees into every heart clearly, and he will judge everyone rightly at the end of the age. Jesus said in Matthew 7, God will judge you in the same way you judge others. He will apply to you the same rules you apply to others. So be very cautious when you feel like judging someone, especially someone who claims to follow Christ. St. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, my friends, if a Christian is caught in any kind of wrongdoing, those who are godly should set him right. Notice Paul said, those who are godly should set him right, but in a gentle and humble way, and keep an eye on yourself, lest you fall into temptation. It's an important warning, because those who endeavor to oppose evil can end up falling into evil patterns and evil methods themselves. Well, let's try to summarize and pull all this to a conclusion. Jesus explained that the field in his parable stands for the world. It's the world you and I live in, too. Today, we, too, continue to pray, as we did a moment ago, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. We're praying that God's kingdom would come in its fullness, would come completely. It's certainly among us partially already today, particularly seen in the church. 2,000 years ago, Jesus inaugurated God's new kingdom on earth. He demonstrated its arrival himself. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the church has spread ever since. Since the time of Jesus, all around the globe, we see the evidences of God's kingdom rule among those who open themselves to Jesus. By the millions, people who admit their guilt are experiencing God's forgiveness. Families torn by discord are being restored. People puzzled about the meaning of life are learning that they have a God-given purpose. Those feeling abandoned have found a friend in Jesus. Multitudes and multitudes of them all around the world. And people who didn't know what faced them after death now know that they will be welcomed by our Lord. And on top of this, churches and Christian agencies worldwide are lifting up the downtrodden. These two are evidences of the kingdom of God advancing today in our day. Here in Canada, the Salvation Army is second only to the Canadian government in providing social services. And globally, Baptist, Canadian Baptist Ministries is active in 26 countries, from supporting schools in Kenya to small-scale farmers in Bolivia and the rehabilitation of alcoholics in India. These are but two of thousands of agencies reaching out with love and hope in the name of Jesus. The kingdom of God has spread to all nations of the world with great benefit to millions, billions. At the same time, however, we see the spread of evil. 
It's bad enough when evil is perpetrated by those who claim no allegiance to Christ. But we've seen it right in the churches. Clergy resigning for sexual misconduct. Christian leaders using donated funds improperly. And we could go back to things like residential schools or the Inquisition or the Crusades. Why hasn't God already stepped in and cleaned up his kingdom? Why isn't he already eliminated evildoers? Paul explains in Romans 2 that God is being patient. He's showing his kindness even to those who do wrong in the hopes that recognizing his mercy towards them right now, they will repent, be forgiven, and change before it's too late. Peter wrote similarly that God wants none to perish, that all would turn from their sin to him for salvation. So, in the end, will those allied with evil, will the weeds survive and win? Not a chance. In his parable, Jesus made that clear. God will root them out. God is determined to rid his kingdom of all who perpetrate injustice and hatred and greed, lies, fear, and death. They will not be allowed in to spoil God's kingdom where healing and grace and joy and peace will finally prevail. In the meantime, what is God doing? Instead of focusing on rooting out weeds, God is today continuing to sow his good seed all around the world. That's what this parable tells us. It's an act of hope, hope for more harvest yet ahead. In the first century, a farmer would save grain from the previous year to use as seed for next year's crop. Then, at the right time, despite birds that might eat up the seed or thorns that might choke the seedlings, he would spread that seed in hope of a harvest. Today, God asks us to join him in spreading his seed. You may have heard the line, better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Restating that in line with Jesus' parable, better to go on planting seeds, God's seeds, than giving yourself to pulling weeds. Yes, weeds, evil, will continue to grow. But be assured, there will be a harvest ahead. The last verses of St. Paul's letter to the Christians in Galatia provide a good concluding summary. Paul wrote, Don't be misled. You can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. If you plant to satisfy your own sinful desires, you will harvest decay and death. But if you plant to please the Holy Spirit, you will harvest eternal life. So, let us not become discouraged and weary of doing good. For if we do not give up, the time will come when we will reap a harvest.